Hi everyone, this is Robert. Welcome to The Well-Told Tale. Every week we bring you the finest science fiction and fantasy stories ever written. Today we return to Rogues in the House by Robert E. Howard, a Conan story. Last time, Marillo, a nobleman, freed Conan from jail and hired him to kill Nabonidus, a priest and rival for power in this unnamed city-state. But then, through a misunderstanding, Murillo heard that Conan didn't get out of jail at all, so he headed off to assassinate Nabonidus himself, rather unsuccessfully, it has to be said. We rejoin the story as Murillo gains consciousness. It's time to pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy the second and final part of Rogues in the House by Robert E. Howard. Chapter 3 It was a reverberating clang of metal that roused Murillo. He groaned and struggled dazedly to a sitting position. About him all was silence and darkness. And for an instant he was sickened with the fear that he was blind. Then he remembered what had gone before, and his flesh crawled. By the sense of touch he found that he was lying on a floor of evenly joined stone slabs, Further groping discovered a wall of the same material. He rose and leaned against it, trying in vain to orient himself. That he was in some sort of a prison seemed certain, but where and how long he was unable to guess. He remembered dimly a clashing noise, and wondered if it had been the iron door of his dungeon closing on him, or if it betokened the entrance of an executioner. But this thought he shuddered profoundly, and began to feel his way along the wall. Momentarily he expected to encounter the limits of his prison, but after a while he came to the conclusion that he was travelling down a corridor. He kept to the wall, fearful of pits or other traps, and was presently aware of something near him in the blackness. He could see nothing, but either his ears had caught a stealthy sound or some subconscious sense warned him. He stopped short, his hair standing on end as surely as he lived. He felt the presence of some living creature crouching in the darkness in front of him. He thought his heart would stop when a voice hissed in a barbaric accent, "'Murillo, is that you?' "'Conan!' Limp from the reaction, the young nobleman groped in the darkness, and his hands encountered a pair of great naked shoulders. "'A good thing I recognised you,' grunted the barbarian. "'I was about to stick you like a fattened pig. "'Where are we, in Mitra's name? "'In the pits under the Red Priest's house. "'But why?' What is the time? Not long after midnight. Murillo shook his head, trying to assemble his scattered wits. What are you doing here? demanded the Chimerian. I came to kill Nabonidus. I heard they had changed the guard at your prison. They did, growled Conan. I broke the new jailer's head and walked out. I would have been here hours agone, but I had some personal business to attend to. Well, shall we hunt for Nabonidus? Murillo shuddered. "'Conan, we are in the house of the Arch-Fiend. "'I came seeking a human enemy. "'I found a hairy devil out of hell.' "'Conan grunted uncertainly. "'Fearless as a wounded tiger as far as human foes were concerned, "'he had all the superstitious dreads of the primitive. "'I gained access to the house,' whispered Murillo, "'as if the darkness were full of listening ears. "'In the outer gardens I found Nabonidus's dog mauled to death.' Within the house I came upon Joker, the servant. His neck had been broken. 
Then I saw Nabonidus himself seated in his chair, clad in his accustomed garb. At first I thought he too was dead. I stole up to stab him. He rose and faced me. God! The memory of that horror struck the young nobleman momentarily speechless as he relived that awful instant. Conan, he whispered, it was no man that stood before me. In body and posture it was not unlike a man, but from the scarlet hood of the priest grinned a face of madness and nightmare. It was covered with black hair, from which small pig-like eyes glared redly. Its nose was flat, with great flaring nostrils, its loose lips writhed back, disclosing huge yellow fangs, like the teeth of a dog. The hands that hung from the scarlet sleeves were misshapen and likewise covered with black hair. All this I saw in one glance, and then I was overcome with horror. My senses left me, and I swooned. "'What then?' muttered the Chimerian uneasily. "'I regained consciousness only a short time ago. The monster must have thrown me into these pits. Conan, I have suspected that Nabonidus was not wholly human. He is a demon, a were-thing. By day he moves among humanity in the guise of men, and by night he takes on his true aspect.' "'That's evident,' answered Conan. "'Everyone knows there are men who take the form of wolves at will, "'but why did he kill his servants?' "'Who can delve the mind of a devil?' replied Murillo. "'Our present interest is in getting out of this place. "'Human weapons cannot harm a were-man. "'How did you get in here?' "'Through the sewer. "'I reckoned on the gardens being guarded. "'The sewers connect with the tunnel that lets into these pits.' I thought to find some door leading up into the house unbolted. "'Then let us escape by the way you came,' exclaimed Murillo. "'To the devil with it. Once out of this snake den, we'll take our chances with the king's guardsmen and risk a flight from the city. Lead on!' "'Useless,' grunted the Chimerian. "'The way to the sewers is barred. As I entered the tunnel, an iron grill crashed down from the roof. If I had not moved quicker than a flash of lightning, its spearheads would have pinned me to the floor like a worm.' When I tried to lift it, it wouldn't move. An elephant couldn't shake it, nor anything bigger than a rabbit squirm between the bars. Murillo cursed, an icy hand playing up and down his spine. He might have known Nabonidus would not leave any entrance into his house unguarded. Had Conan not possessed the steel spring quickness of a wild thing, that falling portcullis would have skewered him. Doubtless his walking through the tunnel had sprung some hidden catch that released it from the roof. As it was... Both were trapped living. "'There's but one thing to do,' said Murillo, sweating profusely. "'That's to search for some other exit. Doubtless they're all set with traps, but we have no other choice.' The barbarian grunted agreement, and the companions began groping their way at random down the corridor. Even at that moment something occurred to Murillo. "'How did you recognise me in this blackness?' he demanded. "'I smelled the perfume you put on your hair when you came into my cell.' answered Conan. I smelled it again a while ago when I was crouching in the dark and preparing to rip you open. Murillo put a lock of his black hair to his nostrils. Even so, the scent was barely apparent to his civilised senses, and he realised how keen must be the organs of the barbarian. Instinctively, his hand went to his scabbard as they groped onward, and he cursed to find it empty. At that moment, a faint glow became apparent ahead of them, and presently they came to a sharp bend in the corridor, about which the light filtered greyly. 
Together they peered around the corner, and Murillo, leaning against his companion, felt his huge frame stiffen. The young nobleman had also seen it. The body of a man, half-naked, lying limply in the corridor beyond the bend, vaguely illumined by a radiance which seemed to emanate from a broad silver disc on the further wall. A strange familiarity about the recumbent figure, which lay face down, stirred Murillo with inexplicable and monstrous conjectures. Motioning the Chimerian to follow him, he stole forward and bent above the body. Overcoming a certain repugnance, he grasped it and turned it on its back. An incredulous oath escaped him. The Chimerian grunted explosively. Naponidus! The Red Priest! ejaculated Murillo, his brain a dizzy vortex of whirling amazement. Then who? What? Priest groaned and stirred. With cat-like quickness, Conan bent over him. Poniard poised above his heart. Murillo caught his wrist. Wait, don't kill him yet. Why not? demanded the Chimerian. He has cast off his were-guise and sleeps. Will you awaken him to tear us to pieces? No, wait, urged Murillo, trying to collect his jumbled wits. Look, he is not sleeping. See that great blue welt on his shaven temple? He has been knocked senseless. He may have been lying here for hours. I thought you swore you saw him in beastly shape in the house above, said Conan. I did. Or else... He's coming too. Keep back your blade, Conan. There is a mystery here, even darker than I thought. I must have words with this priest before we kill him. The Bonadus lifted a hand vaguely to his bruised temple, mumbled and opened his eyes. For an instant they were blank and empty of intelligence. Then life came back to them with a jerk, and he sat up, staring at the companions. Whatever terrific jolt had temporarily addled his razor-keen brain, it was functioning with its accustomed vigour again. His eyes shot swiftly about him, then came back to rest on Murillo's face. "'You honour my poor house, young sir,' he laughed coolly, glancing at the great figure that loomed behind the young nobleman's shoulder. "'You have brought a bravo, I see. Was your sword not sufficient to sever the life of my humble self?' "'Enough of this!' impatiently returned Murillo. "'How long have you lain here?' "'Peculiar question to put to a man just recovering consciousness,' answered the priest. "'I do not know what time it is now, but it lacked an hour or so of midnight when I was set upon.' "'Then who is it that masquerades in your own gown in the house above?' demanded Murillo. "'That will be Thack.' answered Nabonidus, ruefully fingering his bruises. Yes, that will be Thack, and in my own gown, the dog. Conan, who comprehended none of this, stirred restlessly and growled something in his own tongue. Nabonidus glanced at him whimsically. Your bully's knife yearns for my heart, Murillo, he said. I thought you might be wise enough to take my warning and leave the city. "'How was I to know that was to be granted me?' returned Murillo. "'At any rate, my interests are here.' "'You are in good company with that cutthroat,' murmured Nabonidus. "'I had suspected you for some time. "'That was why I caused that pallid court secretary to disappear. "'Before he died, he told me many things, "'among others the name of the young nobleman "'who bribed him to filch state secrets, "'which the nobleman in turn... "'sold to rival powers. "'Are you not ashamed of yourself, Murillo, you white-handed thief?' 
I have no more cause for shame than you, you vulture-hearted plunderer, answered Murillo promptly. You exploit a whole kingdom for your personal greed, and under the guise of disinterested statesmanship, you swindle the king, beggar the rich, oppress the poor, sacrifice the whole future of the nation for your ruthless ambition. You are no more than a fat hog with his snout in the trough. You are a greater thief than I am. This Chimerian is the only honest man of the three of us, because he steals and murders openly.' "'Well, then, we are all rogues together,' agreed Nabonidus equably. "'And what now? My life?' "'When I saw the ear of the secretary that had disappeared, "'I knew I was doomed,' said Murillo abruptly, "'and I believed you would invoke the authority of the king. "'Was I right?' "'Quite so,' answered the priest. "'A court secretary is easy to do away with, but you are too... Prominent. I had intended telling the king a jest about you in the morning. Jest that would have cost me my head, muttered Murillo. The king is unaware of my foreign enterprises. As yet, sighed Nabonidus. And now I see your companion has his knife. I fear that jest will never be told. You should know how to get out of these rat dens, said Murillo. Suppose I agree to spare your life. Will you help us to escape and swear to keep silent about my thievery? When did a priest keep an oath? complained Conan, comprehending the trend of the conversation. Let me cut his throat. I want to see what colour his blood is. They say in the maze that his heart is black, so his blood must be black, too. Be quiet, whispered Murillo. If he does not show us the way out of these pits, we may rot here. Well, Nabonidus, what do you say? "'What does a wolf with his leg in the trap say?' laughed the priest. "'I am in your power, and, and if we are to escape, we must aid one another. "'I swear, if we survive this adventure, to forget all of your shifty dealings, "'I swear by the soul of Mitra.' "'I am satisfied,' muttered Murillo. "'Even the red priest would not break that oath.' "'Now to get out of here. "'My friend here entered by way of the tunnel, "'but a grill fell behind him and blocked the way. "'Can you cause it to be lifted?' "'Not from these pits,' answered the priest. "'The control lever is in the chamber above the tunnel. "'There is only one other way out of these pits, "'which I will show you. "'But tell me, how did you come here?' "'Murillo told him in a few words, "'and Nabonidus nodded, rising stiffly.' He limped down the corridor, which here widened into a sort of vast chamber, and approached the distant silver disc. As they advanced, the light increased, though it never became anything more than a dim, shadowy radiance. Near the disc, they saw a narrow stair leading upward. "'That is the other exit,' said Nabonidus, "'and I strongly doubt if the door at the head is bolted. But I have an idea that he who would go through that door had better cut his own throat first. Look into the disc. What had seemed a silver plate was in reality a great mirror set in the wall. A confusing system of copper-like tubes jutted out from the wall above it, bending down towards it at right angles. Glancing into these tubes, Murillo saw a bewildering array of smaller mirrors. He turned his attention to the largest mirror in the wall and ejaculated in amazement. Peering over his shoulder, Conan grunted. They seemed to be looking through a broad window into a well-lighted chamber. 
There were broad mirrors on the walls with velvet hangings between them. There were silken couches, chairs of ebony and ivory, and curtained doorways leading off from the chamber. And before one doorway, which was not curtained, sat a bulky black object that contrasted grotesquely with the richness of the chamber. Murillo felt his blood freeze again as he looked at the horror which seemed to be staring directly into his eyes. Involuntarily, he recoiled from the mirror, while Conan thrust his head truculently forward till his jaws almost touched the surface, growling some threat or defiance in his own barbaric tongue. "'In Mitra's name!' Nabonidus gasped Murillo, shaken. "'What is it?' "'That is Thak,' answered the priest, caressing his temple. "'Some would call him an ape, but he is almost as different from a real ape as he is different from a real man.' His people dwell far to the east, in the mountains that fringe the eastern frontiers of Zamora. There are not many of them, but if they are not exterminated, I believe they will become human beings in perhaps a hundred thousand years. They are in the formative stage. They are neither apes, as their remote ancestors were, nor men, as their remote descendants may be. They dwell in the high crags of well-nigh inaccessible mountains, knowing nothing of fire or the making of shelter or garments or the use of weapons. Yet they have a language of a sort, consisting mainly of grunts and clicks. I took Thak when he was a cub, and he learned what I taught him much more swiftly and thoroughly than any true animal could have done. He was at once bodyguard and servant— but I forgot that being partly a man, he could not be submerged into mere shadow of myself like a true animal. Apparently his semi-brain retained impressions of hate, resentment, and some sort of bestial ambition of its own. At any rate, he struck when I least expected it. Last night he appeared to go suddenly mad. His actions had all the appearance of bestial insanity, yet I know they must have been the result of long and careful planning. I heard a sound of fighting in the garden, and going to investigate, for I believed it was yourself being dragged down by my watchdog, I saw Thak emerge from the shrubbery dripping with blood. Before I was aware of his intention, he sprang at me with an awful scream and struck me senseless. I remember no more, but can only surmise that, following some whim of his semi-human brain, he stripped me of my gown and cast me still living into the pits, for what reason only the gods can guess. He must have killed the dog when he came from the garden, and after he struck me down he evidently killed Jocker, as you saw the man lying dead in the house. Jocker would have come to my aid, even against Thak, who he always hated. Murillo stared in the mirror at the creature which sat with such monstrous patience before the closed door. He shuddered at the sight of the great black hands, thickly grown with hair that was almost fur-like. The body was thick, broad, and stooped. The unnaturally wide shoulders had burst the scarlet gown, and on these shoulders Murillo noted the same thick growth of black hair. The face peering from the scarlet hood was utterly bestial, and yet Murillo realised that Nabonidus spoke truth when he said that Thak was not wholly a beast. There was something in the red, murky eyes, something in the creature's clumsy posture, something in the whole appearance of the thing that set it apart from the truly animal. That monstrous body housed a brain and soul that were just budding awfully into something vaguely human. 
Murillo stood aghast as he recognised a faint and hideous kinship between his kind and that squatting monstrosity, and he was nauseated by a fleeting realisation of the abysses of bellowing bestiality up through which humanity had painfully toiled. "'Surely he sees us,' muttered Conan. "'Why does he not charge us? He could break this window with ease.' Murillo realised that Conan supposed the mirror to be a window through which they were looking. "'He does not see us,' answered the priest. "'We are looking into the chamber above us. "'That door that Thack is guarding is the one at the head of these stairs. "'It is simply an arrangement of mirrors. "'Do you see those mirrors on the walls? "'They transmit the reflection of the room into these tubes "'down which other mirrors carry it to reflect at last "'on an enlarged scale in this great mirror.' Murillo realised that the priest must be centuries ahead of his generation to perfect such an invention, but Conan put it down to witchcraft and troubled his head no more about it. "'I constructed these pits for a place of refuge as well as a dungeon,' the priest was saying. "'There are times when I have taken refuge here, and through these mirrors watched doom fall upon those who sought me with ill intent. "'But why is Thack watching that door?' demanded Murillo. He must have heard the falling of the grating in the tunnel. It is connected with bells in the chamber above. He knows someone is in the pits, and he is waiting for him to come up the stair. Oh, he has learned well the lessons I taught him. He has seen what happened to men who come through that door when I tugged at the rope that hangs on yonder wall, and he waits to mimic me. And while he waits, what are we to do? demanded Murillo. There is naught we can do except watch him. As long as he is in that chamber, we dare not ascend the stairs. He has the strength of a true gorilla and could easily tear us all to pieces. But he does not need to exert his muscles. If we open that door, he has but to tug that rope and blast us into eternity. How? I bargained to help you escape, answered the priest, not to betray my secrets. Murillo started to reply, then stiffened suddenly. A stealthy hand had parted the curtains on one of the doorways. Between them appeared a dark face whose glittering eyes fixed menacingly on the squat form in the scarlet robe. "'Petrius!' hissed Nabonidus. "'Mitra, what a gathering of vultures this night is!' The face remained framed between the parted curtains. Over the intruder's shoulder other faces peered, dark, thin faces, alight with sinister eagerness. "'What do they do here?' muttered Murillo, unconsciously lowering his voice, although he knew they could not hear him. "'Why, what would Petrius and his ardent young nationalists be doing in the house of the Red Priest?' laughed Nabonidus. "'Look how eagerly they glare at the figure they think is their arch-enemy.' They have fallen into your error. It should be amusing to watch their expressions when they are disillusioned. Murillo did not reply. The whole affair had a distinctly unreal atmosphere. He felt as if he were watching the play of puppets, or as a disembodied ghost himself, impersonally viewing the actions of the living, his presence unseen and unsuspected. He saw Petraeus put his finger warningly to his lips and nod to his fellow conspirators. The young nobleman could not tell if Thack was aware of the intruders. The ape-man's position had not changed, as he sat with his back toward the door through which the men were gliding. 
They had the same idea you had, Nabonidus was muttering at his ear. Only their reasons were patriotic rather than selfish. Easy to gain access to my house now that the dog is dead. Oh, what a chance to rid myself of their menace once and for all. If I were sitting where Thax sits, a leap to the wall, a tug on that rope. Petraeus had placed one foot lightly over the threshold of the chamber. His fellows were at his heels, their daggers glinting dully. Suddenly, Thack rose and wheeled toward them. The unexpected horror of his appearance, where they had thought to behold the hated but familiar countenance of Nabonidus, wrought havoc with their nerves, as the same spectacle had wrought upon Murillo. With a shock, Petraeus recoiled, carrying his companions backward with him. They stumbled and floundered over each other, and in that instant Thack, covering the distance in one prodigious, grotesque leap, caught and jerked powerfully at a thick velvet rope which hung near the doorway. Instantly the curtains whipped back on either side, leaving the door clear, and down across it something flashed with a peculiar silvery blur. "'He remembered!' Nabonidus was exulting. "'The beast is half a man!' He had seen the doom performed, and he remembered. "'Watch now! Watch! Watch!' Murillo saw that it was a panel of heavy glass that had fallen across the doorway. Through it he saw the pallid faces of the conspirators. Petraeus, throwing out his hands as if to ward off a charge from Thack, encountered the transparent barrier, and from his gestures said something to his companions. Now that the curtains were drawn back, the men in the pits could see all that took place in the chamber that contained the nationalists. Completely unnerved, these ran across the chamber toward the door by which they had apparently entered, only to halt suddenly, as if stopped by an invisible wall. The jerk of the rope sealed that chamber, laughed Nabonidus. It is simple. The glass panels work in grooves in the doorways. Jerking the rope trips the spring that holds them. They slide down and lock in place and can only be worked from outside. The glass is unbreakable. A man with a mallet could not shatter it. Ah, the trapped men were in a hysteria of fright. They ran wildly from one door to another, beating vainly at the crystal walls, shaking their fists wildly at the implacable black shape which squatted outside. Then one threw back his head, glared upward, and began to scream, to judge from the working of his lips, while he pointed towards the ceiling. The fall of the panels released the clouds of doom said the red priest with a wild laugh. The dust of the grey lotus from the swamps of the dead beyond the land of Ktai. In the middle of the ceiling hung a cluster of gold buds. These had opened like the petals of a great carven rose, and from them billowed a grey mist that swiftly filled the chamber. Instantly the scene changed from one of hysteria to one of madness and horror. The trapped men began to stagger. They ran in drunken circles. Froth dripped from their lips, which twisted as in awful laughter. Raging, they fell upon one another with daggers and teeth, slashing, tearing, slaying in a holocaust of madness. Murillo turned sick as he watched, and was glad that he could not hear the screams and howls with which that doomed chamber must be ringing. Like pictures thrown on a screen, it was silent. Outside the chamber of horror, Thack was leaping up and down in brutish glee, tossing his long hairy arms on high. At Murillo's shoulder, Nabonidus was laughing like a fiend. Ah, good stroke, Petraeus! 
That fairly disemboweled him. Now one for you, my patriotic friend. So, they are all down, and the living tear the flesh of the dead with their slavering teeth. Marillo shuddered. Behind him the Chimerian swore softly in his uncouth tongue. Only death was to be seen in the chamber of the grey mist, torn, gashed, and mangled. The conspirators lay in a red heap, gaping mouths and blood-doubled faces staring blankly upward through the slowly swirling eddies of grey. Thack, stooping like a giant gnome, approached the wall where the rope hung and gave it a peculiar sideways pull. He is opening the further door, said Nabonidus. By Mitra, he is more of a human than even I had guessed. See, the mist swirls out of the chamber and is dissipated. He waits to be safe. Now he raises the other panel. He is cautious. He knows the doom of the grey lotus, which brings madness and death. By Mitra. Murillo jerked about at the electric quality of the exclamation. Ah, uh, one chance, exclaimed Nabonidus. If he leaves the chamber above for a few minutes, we will risk a dash up those stairs. Suddenly tense, they watched the monster waddle through the doorway and vanish. With the lifting of the glass panel, the curtains had fallen again, hiding the chamber of death. We must chance it, gasped Nabonidus, and Murillo saw perspiration breaking out on his face. Perhaps he will be disposing of the bodies as he has seen me do. Quick, follow me up those stairs. He ran towards the steps and up them with an agility that amazed Murillo. The young nobleman and the barbarian were close at his heels, and they heard his gusty sigh of relief as he threw open the door at the top of the stairs. They burst into the broad chamber they had seen mirrored below. Thack was nowhere to be seen. He's in that chamber with the corpses, exclaimed Murillo. Why not trap him there as he trapped them? No, no, gasped Nabonidus an unaccustomed pallor tinging his features. We do not know that he is in there. He might emerge before we could reach the trap rope anyway. Follow me into the corridor. I must reach my chamber and obtain weapons which will destroy him. This corridor is the only one opening from this chamber which is not set with a trap of some kind. They followed him swiftly through a curtained doorway opposite the door of the death chamber and came into a corridor into which various chambers opened. With fumbling haste, Nabonidus began to try the doors on each side. They were locked, as was the door at the end of the corridor. "'My God!' the red priest leaned against the wall, his skin ashen. "'The doors are locked, and Thack took my keys from me. "'We are trapped, after all.' Murillo stared appalled to see the man in such a state of nerves, and Nabonidus pulled himself together with an effort. "'The beast has me in a panic,' he said. "'If you had seen him tear men as I have seen... "'Well... Mitra aid us, but we must fight him now with what the gods have given us. Come. He led them back to the curtained doorway and peered into the great chamber in time to see Thack emerge from the opposite doorway. It was apparent that the beast man had suspected something. His small, close-set ears twitched. He glared angrily about him and, approaching the nearest doorway, tore aside the curtains to look behind them. The Bonidus drew back, shaking like a leaf. He gripped Conan's shoulder. Man... Do you dare pitch your knife against his fangs? The Chimerian's eyes blazed in answer. Quick, the red priest whispered, thrusting him behind the curtains close against the wall. As he will find us soon enough, we will draw him to us. As he rushes past you, sink your blade in his back if you can. 
You, Murillo, show yourself to him and then flee up the corridor. Mitra knows we have no chance with him in hand-to-hand combat, but we are doomed anyway when he finds us. Murillo felt his blood congeal in his veins, but he steeled himself and stepped outside the doorway. Instantly, Thack, on the other side of the chamber, wheeled, glared, and charged with a thunderous roar. His scarlet hood had fallen back, revealing his black, misshapen head. His black hands and red robe were splashed with a brighter red. He was like a crimson and black nightmare as he rushed across the chamber, fangs bared, his bowed legs hurtling his enormous body along and terrifying gait. Murillo turned and ran back into the corridor, and quick as he was, the shaggy horror was almost at his heels. Then, as the monster rushed past the curtains, from among them catapulted a great form that struck full on the ape-man's shoulders, at the same instant driving the poniard into the brutish back. Thack screamed horribly as the impact knocked him off his feet and the competence hit the floor together. Instantly there began a whirl and thrash of limbs, the tearing and rending of a fiendish battle. Murillo saw that the barbarian had locked his legs around the ape-man's torso and was striving to maintain his position on the monster's back while he butched it with his poniard. Thack, on the other hand, was striving to dislodge his clinging foe, to drag him around within reach of his giant fangs that gaped for his flesh. In a whirlwind of blows and scarlet tatters, they rolled along the floor, revolving so swiftly that Murillo dared not use the chair he had caught up, lest he strike the Chimerian. And he saw that in spite of the handicap of Conan's first hold and the voluminous robe that lashed and wrapped about the ape-man's limbs and body, Thak's giant strength was swiftly prevailing. Inexorably, he was dragging the Chimerian around in front of him. The ape-man had taken punishment enough to have killed a dozen men. Conan's poniard had sunk again and again into his torso, shoulders and bull-like neck. He was streaming blood from a score of wounds but unless the blade quickly reached some absolutely vital spot, Thak's inhuman vitality would survive to finish the Chimerian, and after him, Conan's companions. Conan was fighting like a wild beast himself, in silence except for his gasps of effort. The black talons of the monster and the awful grasp of those misshapen hands ripped and tore at him. The grinning jaws gaped for his throat. Then Murillo, seeing an opening, sprang and swung the chair with all his power and with force enough to have brained a human being. The chair glanced from Thak's slanted black skull, but the stunned monster momentarily relaxed his rending grasp. And in that instant, Conan, gasping and streaming blood, plunged forward and sunk his poniard to the hilt in the ape-man's heart. With a convulsive shudder, the beast-man started from the floor, then sank limply back. His fierce eyes set and glazed, his thick limbs quivered and became rigid. Conan staggered dizzily up, shaking the sweat and blood out of his eyes. Blood dripped from his poniard and fingers and trickled in rivulets down his thighs, arms and breast. Murillo caught at him to support him, but the barbarian shook him off impatiently. "'When I cannot stand alone, it will be time to die,' he mumbled through mashed lips. "'But I'd like a flagon of wine.' Nabonidus was staring down at the still figure as if he could not believe his own eyes. Black, hairy, abhorrent the monster lay, grotesque in the tatters of the scarlet robe, 
yet more human than beast even so, and possessed somehow of a vague and terrible pathos. Even the Chimerian sensed this, for he panted, "'I have slain a man tonight, not a beast. I will count him among the chiefs whose souls I've sent into the dark, and my women will sing of him.' The Monodus stooped and picked up a bunch of keys on a golden chain. They had fallen from the ape-man's girdle during the battle— Motioning his companions to follow him, he led them to a chamber, unlocked the door, and led the way inside. It was illumined like the others. The red priest took a vessel of wine from a table and filled crystal beakers. As his companions drank thirstily, he murmured, "'What a night! It is nearly dawn now. What of you, my friends?' "'I'll dress Conan's hurts if you will fetch me bandages and the like,' said Marillo and Nabonidus nodded and moved towards the door that led into the corridor. Something about his bowed head caused Murillo to watch him sharply. At the door, the red priest wheeled suddenly. His face had undergone a transformation. His eyes gleamed with his old fire. His lips laughed soundlessly. "'Rogues together!' his voice rang with its accustomed mockery. "'But not fools together! You are the fool, Murillo. "'What do you mean?' The young nobleman started forward. Back! Nabonidus's voice cracked like a whip. Another step and I will blast you! Murillo's blood turned cold as he saw the red priest's hand grasp a thick velvet rope which hung among the curtains just outside the door. What treachery is this? cried Murillo. You swore! I swore I would not tell the king a jest concerning you. I did not swear not to take matters into my own hands if I could. Do you think I would pass up such an opportunity? Under ordinary circumstances, I would not dare to kill you myself without sanction of the king. But now, none will ever know. You will go into the acid vats along with Thack and the nationalist fools, and none will be the wiser. What a night this has been for me! If I have lost some valuable servants, I have nevertheless rid myself of various dangerous enemies. Stand back! I am over the threshold, and you cannot possibly reach me before I tug this cord and send you to hell. Not the Grey Lotus this time, but something just as effective. Nearly every chamber in my house is a trap. And so, Murillo, fool that you are. Too quickly for the sight to follow, Conan caught up a stool and hurled it. Nabonidus instinctively threw up his arm with a cry, but not in time. The missile crunched against his head, and the red priest swayed, and fell face down in a slowly widening pool of dark crimson. "'His blood was red, after all,' grunted Conan. Murillo raked his sweat-plastered hair with a shaky hand as he leaned against the table, weak from the reaction of relief. "'It is dawn,' he said. "'Let us get out of here before we fall afoul of some other doom. If we can climb the outer wall without being seen, we shall not be connected with this night's work.' Let the police write their own explanation. He glanced at the body of the red priest where it lay etched in crimson and shrugged his shoulders. He was the fool after all. Had he not paused to taunt us, he could have trapped us easily. Well, said the Chimerian tranquilly, he's travelled the road all rogues must walk at last. I'd like to loot the house, but I suppose we'd best go. As they emerged from the dimness of the dawn-whitened garden, Murillo said, the Red Priest has gone into the dark, so my road is clear in the city, and I have nothing to fear. But what of you? There is still the matter of that 
priest in the maze, and... I'm tired of this city anyway, grinned the Chimerian. You mentioned a horse waiting at the rat's den. I'm curious to see how fast that horse can carry me to another kingdom. There's many a highway I want to travel before I walk the road Nabonidus walked this night. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed Rogues in the House. If you did enjoy it, then please consider supporting The Well-Told Tale on Patreon at patreon.com slash thewelltoldtale. There's a link in the description. I'll be back next week with another classic sci-fi tale from Philip K. Dick. <laughs>